0: in a city to help support the church plant that needs help um, and needs more resources to further their mission. And so my biggest thing as journeymen is relationships, taking time to hear someone's story and hear what needs they have and just like be friends with them without a hidden agenda. Like with Placebridge Academy, which is a refugee magnet school, there was people praying that there would be strong believers come into that community and reach them. We actually found out that one of their community directors there at the school is a believer, and she was the door into letting us come in and serve their community. We are reaching 40 different countries in one place. There is so much work to be done and so few laborers to help do it. Like that's why I pour my heart and soul into these mission teams. They can just like catch a little bit of vision of what's going on here so more of them will come. I feel like it was just yesterday that I was a college student and I gave God this blank check and truly gave up control. And he's brought me here.
1: If all you do is watch the local news broadcast or read newspapers, you would never think that God is at work in North America. But God is at work here. And He's using young folks like this young lady through the Journeyman Project to go and spend a period of time on the mission field somewhere telling other people about Jesus. And each of us can help, right? We can pray, we can give, and we can go. So let's have a time of prayer for our missionaries, and then we're going to sing another hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are a God who speaks, and you are a God who works. In just a few moments, God, we're going to open your word, and we're going to ask you to speak to us. But Lord, right now, we just want to take a moment and thank you for the work that you're doing among us. Lord, the opportunity that we have to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. We saw it yesterday here in Northside through Upward. We saw it through this this ministry that we were able to provide for a family who's going through some difficult times. And the church rallied together and family rallied around one another. And we were able to be the hands and feet. God, that's mission work. Lord, we also see you working in the fact that believers who love you recognize because they love you because they're children of God they are called to tell other people about their father and the grace and the mercy that he offers through his son Jesus Christ and they're willing to go to the ends of the the earth they're willing to go to Denver and to a city Lord where marijuana and alcohol she shared how many there are among each people and how few evangelical churches there are Lord I pray that the Church of Jesus Christ, the Lord will become a presence in some of these difficult-to-reach places. And that through our witness, through our testimonies, through the fact that we can say Jesus saves and changes our lives, that people would realize hope is not in alcohol, hope is not in marijuana, hope is not in gambling, hope is not in the things of the world. Sexual morality, hope is in Jesus. And when we come to know Jesus, when we come to know the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our lives are radically, drastically transformed. They can't help but be because the Spirit of God who now indwells us. So God, may we as your people, who this morning are singing openly about the cross, may we be men and women who live openly out in the world and declare the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For your glory and your honor. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? Let's worship together. seated at this moment our children are going to make their way out to children's church so you can meet them in the back somewhere and head out to children's church everyone else if you will please take your copy of god's word and open it to ephesians ephesians chapter 4 we're going to look at verses 31 32 and then verse 1 of chapter 5 so ephesians Chapter 4, beginning in verse 31. The story is told of Alexander the Great. right? This well-known military leader, Alexander the Great, got word that there was a man in his army who was a coward. He was a coward, and it so happened that this man who was a coward had the name... Alexander, And so Alexander the Great went to this man, Alexander, and confronted him. And he said to him, Soldier, renounce your cowardice or renounce your name. Renounce your cowardice or renounce your name. Now, that's bold. To go to a man who had been given the name Alexander and to say to him, to think so highly of yourself as Alexander the Great must have, to say to him, listen, you bear my name, and this is my nature and my personality, so you have one of two options. Stop being a coward or stop going by the name Alexander. And I guess his point was, you bear my name, you need to live up to that name and live as I live. You bear my name, act like me. We've been working our way very slowly through this section of Scripture in Ephesians, going verse by verse through the entire book, but camping out here in this section of Ephesians because the Apostle Paul gives us five exhortations. And what we see is we bear the name of God's sons and daughters. And as a result of that, Paul says you've learned Christ. As a result of that, your life should look like, should resemble the God who has saved you. As a son and a daughter, your life should look like your father. And so we've seen some very difficult things. Things that I think probably have convicted us along the way that we are... Number one, to put away falsehood, and rather we are to speak truth. We are not to be angry in an unrighteous way, right? Don't let your son go down on your anger. The third one, we are no longer to steal, but rather we are to labor. The fourth one, no corrupting talk should come out of your mouth, but rather that which is building up of others. And then we come this morning to the fifth exhortation. And what Paul has done in pretty much all of these is he gives us a prohibition, put this off, stop living this way, because now you belong to Christ, the exhortation, this is how you are to live, and in these, he often gives us a motivation. Why? Why are we to be different? Why are we to no longer live like this, and why are we to now look like this? And so we'll, we'll notice the same thing this morning, but we're going to do it a little bit different. This morning, I want to begin with the motivation. I want to start with chapter 5, verse 1. And then we're going to work our way back to chapter 4, verse 31, and we're going to see the prohibition, that which we are to remove. Then we're going to look at verse 32, the exhortation, what we are to replace it with through the Spirit of God. And then we're going to end with another motivation as to why we are to live like this. So if you, would you take God's copy of His Word, and would you please stand in honor of the reading of His Word. Verse 31, 32, and verse 1 of chapter 5. This is the Word of the Lord. Let all bitterness... And wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Father God, this is your word, every bit of it. It is inerrant, it is infallible, it is authoritative, it is sufficient so, Father, we ask this morning that you would speak through your word and that you would help your people to respond appropriately. Will we respond with confession, repentance, where we have fallen short, where we do not imitate you? Will we respond in a way that is pleasing to you? Or will we instead, Father, turn a deaf ear to you, a hard heart, And continue to live in disobedience and rebellion, even though we know better. Spirit of God, move in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let us begin this morning with the motivation. Chapter 5, verse 1. Here's the motivation. Therefore, in light of what I've said, in light of what I'm going to say, be imitators of God. There's your motivation. Be imitators of God as beloved children. So let's break this down. He begins by saying, be Be, that Greek word is genomai. It is a verb. It's an action. You are to be this. And it's in the imperative. It is a command. The word genomai means be. It means to bring into existence or to become. So he is commanding us as children of God that we are to become something. What are we to become? Well, he tells us be imitators of God. To be an imitator. That Greek word is mimetes. It's from which we get the word mimic. We are to imitate God. We are to mimic God. We are to copy God. The way we live should be in in reference to how God is. We are to imitate Him. As Christians, we are called, we are commanded to imitate the character and the nature of God. So hear me, if we claim, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, if you claim to be a child of God and your life is contrary to God's word as he is revealed to us through the Bible, then you are not imitating God. It could be one area, it could be ten areas. You're not imitating God And if you are not imitating God, though you claim to be a Christian or whatever lingo you may want to use, if you are not imitating God, then you are not a mimic or an imitator of God, but rather you are a counterfeit. You do not accurately reflect who God really is. And Paul says we are to be imitators of God. Now let's pause for a moment. And think about what does that look like. When he says that you and I as human beings can imitate God, what what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I'm thankful for the work of theologians who have have, have helped us by making a helpful distinction between incommunicable and communicable attributes of God. Some of you know what I mean when I say incommunicable and communicable attributes of God. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? So let me take a moment to kind of explain this. So theologians speak of incommunicable attributes of God. And what they mean by that is this. These are attributes that belong only to God, that are true only of God, that are not true of us. Think of it this way in in the sense of incommunicable diseases. An incommunicable disease is something that you cannot get from somebody else. So if I've got a heart defect... Right? And, and Gary comes near to me, that's not communicable. He's not going to walk away with my heart defect just because he got too close. That's an incommunicable disease. So when we talk about incommunicable attributes of God, attributes that only belong to God, you and I cannot share or imitate in these. So let me give you just a few of them. God's omniscience. God is all-knowing. Anybody else in here all-knowing? I didn't think so. Somebody just pointed to their spouse. I'm not going to say who that was. I don't often pick up on that, but I saw you do that. That's hilarious. Um, You're not all-knowing, right? You don't know what's going to happen in two minutes from now. We talk about God's omnipotence. God, right, is all-powerful you are not all-powerful we talk about god's omnipresence i would love right now to be here preaching and on the beach at the same time it can't happen right i'm limited to one space but not god he is omnipresent we speak of god being eternal he's always existed that's not true of you or i as humanity we speak of god being sovereign god being ruler god being in control the longer you live, the more you realize you have little to no control over anything. Right? We don't have control. We're not sovereign. One more, God is self-sufficient. God does not depend or rely on anyone or anything. That is not true for us. We need food we need water we need oxygen we can go on and on we are not self-sufficient self-existing so when we talk about God in those terms the very nature of God we cannot imitate that but there are communicable attributes, just like there are communicable diseases, the flu and COVID, that if I've got it and you come near to me, there's a likely possibility that you're going to pick up that illness through airborne or whatever, and you're going to get sick. So communicable attributes, attributes that God in his grace and wisdom has shared with humanity. Let me to give you just a few of them. Love. We're not going to get into it this morning, but verse 2 says, and walk in what? Love. God is love and you and I can love other people. That is an attribute that God shares with us. We we have things like wisdom. We are not all wise, but James says if anyone lacks wisdom, let him what? Ask God. So we can walk in wisdom. God all-wise gives us wisdom. You have holiness. God is holy, holy, holy and yet we read be holy as I am holy. We are not perfectly holy as God is, but we can live our lives in such a way that we are set apart and holy unto God. This is a communicable attribute. Grace, justice, goodness, kindness are things that are true of God that He has shared with His creation. And there's one more that we'll get to in a few minutes, and that is forgiveness. Our God is a forgiving God, and He, through His Spirit working in us, we can have that attribute. We can be forgiving people. Richard Cokin writes We are not to be chameleons imitating the world, but Christians imitating God. A chameleon, right, changes colors, blends in with his surroundings. The world is constantly changing. Today, And next week, it's going to be different. The world's constantly changing. So you can be a chameleon constantly trying to figure out where can I fit in? Where can I belong? How can I live like the world? But that's not what we're called to be. We're not called to do that. We are rather called to be Christians who imitate God. And Scripture says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What God says to us this morning through his word, he's going to say tomorrow and next week and five years from now. We're to imitate that. That's who we are to be. Koken also words it this way, we are Christ-shaped rather than culture-shaped. Question, which one is shaping you more in your life? You're honest right now, are you shaped more by the culture or by Christ? Because Paul says we are to be imitators of God, this is the motivation, and then he continues, as beloved children. Why are we to imitate God? Why should this matter to us? Because Paul says we are beloved children. J.I. Packer in his book Knowing God writes, What is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways. But the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God for his father. If you are a Christian, you've been saved, born again. God is your father. Years ago, I read a book called the greatest generation. The greatest generation is the World War II generation. You read, you study what the men and women, what they did, they are the greatest generation. I have heard the culture today, the generation today, could be described as the fatherless generation. One out of four live without a biological or stepfather in the home. In just a short period of time, we have gone from the greatest generation to a fatherless generation. And every one of us in here knows the importance and the value placed upon fathers in the home. Here's the good news, though. Whether you have the best father or the worst father, earthly father I'm speaking of, if you are in Christ, you have a heavenly father. Whether you've got the best dad or you don't even know who your dad is, in Christ you have a heavenly father. And so scripture teaches us that when we are sinners separated from Christ, when we come to that moment where we realize we are a sinner in need of Jesus and we repent and we believe, right, there is a new birth that takes place. We are born again. And when we are born again spiritually, we are born into a new family. And in this new family, we become God's beloved children. And now as God's beloved children... We imitate our father, like father, like son. You look at a son, he often wants to do what his father is doing. We, as his children, are to imitate the father. So a point of application before we move on to the prohibition is this. Doctrine determines your conduct. What you believe determines how you behave. And the scripture tells us here that you are a beloved child of God. That's doctrine, that's truth. Therefore, practically, your life ought to look like one who is imitating the Father that you claim has rescued and saved you. So that leads us to the prohibition. Here's our motivation, here's why it matters how we live. Imitate God, now let's go back to verse 31. Here's the prohibition, he's going to mention six things, we'll go through these one by one. Let all bitterness, and then he'll say, be put away from you. Let all bitterness be put away from you. The Greek word for bitterness is pichria. It's translated bitterness or resentment. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Paul says, if we're going to imitate God, you and I should not be bitter. Hear me. A bitter person is someone who refuses to forgive and refuses to be reconciled. They become bitter. They become resentful in their heart. And studying this week, I came across look, I don't don't know much about this, but I came across this thing called picric acid. Picric acid. So um, the noun, uh, I believe, is picria, the the adjective of it is picros in the Greek. So picric acid, right, comes from the Greek word picros. What is picric acid? It's an explosive compound. That's what it is. It's an explosive compound. Some of you know, I know at least one of you in here knows a lot more about this than I do. But according to Wikipedia, picric acid is an explosive compound. It'll blow up. Bitterness does the exact same thing in your heart. If you're bitter and resentful, somebody has hurt you, somebody has wronged you, and maybe it's a legit hurt and wrong. If you don't let that go, right, you become bitter. I also read this week, and some of you are familiar with this, and can explain it far better than I can, but I was fascinated by this. During World War II, there was a submarine called the USS Tang. The USS Tang. On October 24, 1944, it was out... Um, Fighting against the Japanese, I believe if memory serves correctly, they had eight torpedoes that day. They fired off all eight torpedoes. Some of them missed, some of them hit their targets. The last torpedo that they shot, for some odd reason, they think, went above the surface of the water, came back in the water, and turned and went right back to the USS tank and hit the USS tank. And many, not all, but many people on board of that submarine that day died. I mean, they died from their own torpedo that somehow, some way turned around and came back and hit itself. And as I read that story and how tragic that is that people died based upon their own torpedo, the reality is that's what bitterness does. Bitterness, if you're bitter this morning at somebody because they hurt you, listen, you're not damaging them. You're only hurting yourself. You think, hey, I'm going I'm to be bitter and I'm going I'm to take care of them. I'm going to show them, but they probably don't even care. They hurt you to begin with. What do they really care? The only person you're hurting, you're doing damage to is yourself because you won't let it go. Listen to Warren Wearsby. This is so helpful. An unforgiving spirit is the devil's playground. And before long, it becomes the Christian's battleground. Bitterness in the heart, listen to this, bitterness in the heart makes us treat others the way Satan treats them. When we should treat others the way God has treated us. So what does Paul say? We're imitators of God. Remove, put away all bitterness. And he continues, let all bitterness and wrath and anger. Now these two Greek words are often used interchangeably. Wrath can speak of a passionate outburst. Anger speaks more of a festering anger that grows and grows. O'Brien in his commentary writes, Paul List here appears to be climactic, progressing from an inner resentful attitude, I'm bitter, I'm resentful, it's inward, through its indignant outburst, seething rage, which then leads to public shouting and abusive language or cursing. There's a progression it takes here. So remove bitterness, remove wrath, remove anger, remove clamor. I didn't before the, I didn't even know what clamor was. It's not a word I use in my vocabulary very often. Clamor. Here's what the word means. The Greek word means to weep or to wail. It's an outcry. In this context, it speaks of public shouting. What starts inwardly eventually leads to an outburst of anger, of wrath, which then eventually leads to you just going off the deep end. Like You're yelling, you're shouting, you're screaming, you're cursing, you're angry, and you're going to let everybody know about it because somebody has hurt you. You, he says, put it away, put away slander. Now, this is interesting. This Greek word for slander is blasphemia, blasphemia. Now, when we translate this Greek word, when it's referring to insulting God, we use the English word blasphemy. We read in the New Testament of them blaspheming the name of God, slandering the name of God, like speaking against God. But when we speak of how we insult man, we translate this Greek word slander. So we're slandering, we're insulting other people. You see what's happening here? It goes from inward to now you're just outright slandering other people. And then he continues, it should be put away from you along with all malice. With all malice. The Greek word means hostility or evil. Here's the English definition of malice. It's to desire harm to others or to see them suffer. So it starts with, I'm angry at you, I'm bitter towards you, I'm resentful towards you, if left unchecked, eventually leads to, I wish ill will upon you. And I hope something bad happens to you. Right? We get to this point. Why? Because bitterness unchecked will lead to wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. It was 1894. The Baltimore Orioles were playing the Boston bean eaters man i wish there was a team named the bean eaters right now i love that name i wish the reds were the cincinnati bean eaters i just love that name now if you know your baseball history the boston bean eaters eventually became the milwaukee braves which eventually became the atlanta braves the defending world series champions right so it was 1894 baltimore's playing the bean eaters john mcgraw and tommy tucker got into a fight in the third inning Just a normal old brawl. You see that today? One guy from this team, one guy from that team fighting. Then, as it often happens today, the teams get involved. And a fight that started with two people on the field led to the teams getting involved and eventually it spilled over into the stands. So people in the stands start getting into a fight. And for some odd reason, during the third inning, in the right field stands, a fire started. A fire that would spread and destroy or damage 170 buildings i would say things escalated quickly did they not just a normal day of baseball the orioles versus the bean eaters led to a fight between one guy and another guy which led to the teams which led to the people in the stands which led to a fire which led to 170 buildings being damaged church that's what bitterness does to you What starts small, eventually, is going to destroy you and destroy other people if you do not get it under the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you are bitter this morning, like you have a legit reason... Like somebody hurt you, somebody wronged you, but you won't forgive them. You won't let it go, whatever the reason may be. Right? You, you know in your heart it has led to malice and anger. You have slandered them. You have said evil things about them behind their back, to their face. And maybe this morning, if you're honest, there is malice. Like you wouldn't be the bit concerned if you got a call saying their house burned down or they got in a car accident because you wish evil upon them. You say, Pastor, that's, that is not even possible. Yes, it is because we are surrounded by lost people who live that way every day just filled with malice. And maybe that is you. Listen to John Phillips. What an ugly accumulation of human characteristics. They sour our lives. They scald our brethren. They stain our characters. They spoil our testimonies. And they sadden the Holy Spirit. And what does Paul say? These six things must be put away from you. The word put away literally means to lift up and to take away. To lift up and to carry away. Get it out of your life. Why? Because you have learned Christ. That's who the old man was. You are now a child of God. Imitate God. Therefore, put that away. Prohibition. Here's the exhortation. Be kind to one another. He starts in verse 32. Be kind to one another. I found this interesting. The word for kind, the Greek word is krestos. The Greek word for Christ is kristos. Krestos and Christos found a lot alike. Christ is kind. This is who Jesus is right? He is kind. And we as followers of Christ are to be kind. The word for kind means good, pleasant, gracious. Luke 6:30 says you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Titus chapter 3, verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. God is kind, and as his sons and daughters, we are to imitate this. We are to be kind. He can see, continues, be tender-hearted. It means affectionate, compassionate. We must be children of God who are compassionate towards the needs of our brothers and sisters. If we are to be kind and compassionate, we have to understand this is the exact opposite of anger, wrath, clamor and slander we are called to live differently and then he says this forgiving one another a bitter person refuses to forgive or to be reconciled a child of God understands that in order to imitate God we must forgive others we don't have the option we as children of God must forgive others we must seek to be reconciled with others why Motivation number two. This is how we'll end. Verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now I said this is how we're going to end, not that we're getting ready to end. So just keep listening for a few minutes longer. As God in Christ forgave you. This is our motivation. The message translation. Forgiving one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. The Phillips translation, be as ready to forgive others as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Psalm 130, verses three through four, if you, O Lord, should mark with iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You are to forgive. Somebody hurts you, somebody wrongs you, and somebody does something evil and wicked to you, you are to forgive. Why? Because Christ has forgiven us. The person who refuses to forgive and refuses to show grace knows nothing of God's forgiveness and grace. Now, I'm not saying it's easy to forgive. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying it is always easy to show grace because it's not. But as a child of God who is concerned with imitating God, it is something you will do. Because Christ has done it for you. R.C. Sproul writes We tend to be far more ungenerous in forgiving others than God is in forgiving us. If God were to be as reluctant to forgive as we are in forgiving those who sin against us, we would be in serious trouble. As Christians, we are forgiven people. We are likewise called to be forgiving people. Now let's camp out here for a moment and let's talk about forgiveness. Because it's something we can just say really easy. You are to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. But what do we mean by forgiveness? Now there's a lot that we could say. I'm going to say this quickly. Try to be succinctly. Number one, what I want you to understand about forgiveness is simply this. It is undeserved. Forgiveness is undeserved. As God in Christ forgave you, what did Aaron do to deserve God's forgiveness? Nothing. It is all by grace. So that person that has hurt you, that person who has wronged you, that person who has hurt your spouse, said those mean-spirited things to you, listen, they will never deserve your forgiveness. What could they possibly do to deserve or earn your forgiveness? They can't, and they don't have to, because forgiveness is undeserved. It is all by grace. Second thing is this. Forgiveness is total. When God forgives you, He forgives you. He doesn't throw it in your face the next day. He doesn't say, oh, you remember last week you did the same thing and throw it in your face. Forgiveness is total. And when we are to forgive people, we have to understand, and this is hard, but to forgive means you cannot constantly bring up their sin and bring up that hurt to them. You've forgiven them. You're letting it go. You're not constantly throwing it in front of back in in their face right you can't do that you have to forgive it's total third forgiveness is costly what did it cost god the father to forgive you of your sins It cost him his son we sang about the cross in all three songs this morning that we sang We're going to zero in on on the cross and the sacrifice next week and and Good Friday and then leading up to the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. What did it cost the Father to forgive us? It cost Him His Son. Listen, it's going to cost you to forgive people. It's, It's going to cost you time, it's going to cost you effort because forgiveness doesn't come naturally. How many stories, how many stories have we read? How many stories have we heard of somebody whose son was shot, somebody whose daughter was, 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 was beaten or molested or something happened, and yet that family, only by the grace of God, can stand before them and say, we forgive you. What you did was wicked and evil, but we forgive you. May you think of Joseph. Joseph had a right to be angry with his brothers. Like in the world standards man joseph had a right to cut them off and to say look you die i don't care about you but he doesn't hold it against them he forgives them because his faith is ultimately in god so listen you say pastor it's hard to forgive yes and it's going to cost you so much but it will cost you far more if you refuse to forgive it's going to cost you far more if you hold on to that anger and that resentment and if that's you this morning And nobody else in this room knows that but you. Listen, now's the moment of reckoning. you got to deal with that bitterness and that anger and that resentment, and you're going to need help. I promise you you're going to need help. you got the help of the Holy Spirit. You've got the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And I promise there is somebody in this room that you know that you can go to and be open and honest and just say, hey, I'm struggling. Will you pray for me? There's one more point I want to make about forgiveness because this is important. There is a difference between forgiveness and reestablishing trust. Forgiveness is granted freely and totally, but trust is earned over time. So if you have a spouse who just finds out that their husband was unfaithful to them, that spouse, biblically and by the Spirit of God, will forgive them, can forgive them, can say, I forgive you, but trust isn't earned overnight. That trust has been broken. That trust has been abused. It's been adulterated. Like they've walked all over that trust. And so when I say forgive, I'm not saying you just move on and act like nothing happened. Trust has to be built. But the forgiveness, the resentment part of it, and that's got to be dealt with through the Spirit of God. Now here's how I will close. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Zechariah. Now for me, that's on page 888. In my Bible, because sometimes you get into those minor prophets and you're like, man, where's Zechariah at? So I want you to go to Zechariah chapter 7. I read these verses earlier in the week and, man, they just convicted me. So as as we think about being imitators of God, as we think about what God has said to us through His Word, what God is calling us to be, calling us to do as, as His sons and daughters. I want to read some verses out of Zechariah chapter 7. I want to begin in verse 8. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. This is who they are to be. This is how they are to live. Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. For this is the word of the Lord saying to his people, this is how you are to live. You are to imitate me in my heart. Verse 11. But they refused to pay attention and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by His Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called, and they would not hear, so they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. And thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. We spend five weeks on these five exhortations. Hard words, challenging words, convicting words. I've shared my vulnerability with you where I've struggled in some of this. This is not easy stuff, but yet it is crystal clear God is saying as my sons and my daughters put these things away and replace them with things that bring glory and honor to me. Now here's the question for us. Will we listen to the voice of God? Will we hear Him? Will we confess? Will we repent? Will we turn? Will we fall before Him? Will we weep over our sins? Or will we refuse to pay attention turning a stubborn shoulder stopping our ears that we may not hear god will we make our hearts diamond hard lest we would hear the word of the lord and repent i cannot answer that for you but you have heard the word of the lord you have heard what god is saying to you and here's how i want to close If you're a brother or a sister in Christ, what is the Lord leading you to do? How has he convicted you over these last five sermons? How is he reshaping you? How is the Spirit of God at work in your life? Will you hear? Will you listen? But Here's how I want to close. Whether you're watching online or you are in this place, I believe that apart from God, we are all sinners and we all deserve hell. And that our only hope is the fact that the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to be raised from the dead for my sins so that if I would repent and believe, I will be saved. Listen, the reason some of you are bitter and you can't overcome it, the reason some of you, there's no change taking place in your life, to be completely honest and blunt, it is because you are lost and you don't know Jesus. And it's not because the spirit of God hasn't been at work in your heart It's because he has been working, but you refuse to listen. You turn a deaf ear to him. You make your heart harder and harder so that when he speaks, you clench tighter to the, to the chair in front of you. Your hands are sweaty, but you keep resisting his spirit because you don't want to humble yourself to say, I need a savior. Today's the day of salvation. Today is the day to believe stop hardening your hearts. Because just maybe, just maybe, God will no longer hear. And the Spirit of God will stop calling and drawing you when you keep resisting Him. There is no change possible apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, period. No change for you. No change for me. I am not telling you, go do this, go do this, and you'll be a better person. You won't. You need Jesus. And apart from Jesus, there will be no change until you give your life to Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We're not going to sing a song together, but I'm going to have Miss Ann go ahead and come. She's going to play just some instrumental music on the piano. After I pray, I'm just going to kind of step to the side. If you want to get on your knees right where you are, if you need to come kneel and pray, if you want to take somebody by the hand and come pray, if you just want to be in a state of meditation and prayer, as the Spirit of God is at work in you, because in the next couple of weeks, we're going to zero in upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to be somebody who just gives lip service to that sacrifice. I want to be somebody who has been saved and bought by the blood of Jesus, who is now a child of God, and who through the Spirit of God is seeking to imitate my Father. And I fall short, and you fall short, and maybe this morning there's a specific sin you need to confess. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So, Father, we come to you, Spirit of God, speak. Move in this place, and may it not be met by proud hearts, but humble hearts. May it not be met by ears that have turned turned themselves off, but ears that are attentive to you. And may we respond. Whatever that may look like, God, however you lead us to respond, may we respond. God, do do a work in us right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you'll play. God, right now I just pray that if anybody here has never come by faith to Jesus, that right now in their heart of hearts they will just come and place their hand in the hands of Jesus, his nail-scarred hand. God, you're calling right where they are. Will they just confess their sins, repent of their sins, turn from their sins and believe upon the name of Jesus? Anyone who is struggling with bitterness and anger, resentment, Spirit of God set them free set them free right now we pray we give it all to you lord yes this in jesus name amen amen uh let me just go over a couple things with you one thing i want to share with you that i meant to do last week and uh after the invitation um it slipped my mind but there is a family that's been visiting with us now for several months um it's the woodard family uh they got four kids um a couple months ago, uh, one of their daughters, Allie, came to me and said, Hey, um, you know, I want to follow the Lord Jesus in baptism. Uh, interested in that. And so her dad, Jared, and I uh, went to Chick-fil-A, uh, had dinner, um, talked with him about their family and membership, but also talked to her um, about what it means to, to be baptized, why we are baptized, what that pictures, and just making sure that she understood uh, her need for Jesus, and, and that she'd given her life to Jesus, and she had done that. So they're gone this morning. They're on vacation. But next Sunday, at the beginning of the worship service, we're going to baptize her. Um, and so most of you may not recognize her. Maybe you've seen her. And so I just wanted to give you a heads up. Her name's Allie. Uh, they've been coming to church here for a couple months, and they're praying uh, about that as a family. But, but she is a believer, and she's never been baptized, and she wants to do that. And so we'll start uh, the worship service that way next week. Um, just a couple important announcements. we got a ministry team leaders meeting next Sunday, uh, summer camp. It's grades two through six. We've got a couple spots left. We've got a meeting next Sunday for that. You, if you're going to camp, you want to be a part of that. We have a mother-daughter fiesta. That sounds like a lot of fun. April 22nd, um, our Easter services are there. And then on June 4th, from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., uh, we're going to offer a training Uh, Lou Kuhn, I mean, this is his his passion, his mission, what God has done in his life. You've heard his testimony when he preached several months ago. So that's June 4th. Put that on the calendar from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. One reason to live, uh, suicide intervention training. Uh, You want to be a part of that, you can see Lou for more information. A reminder, no activities tonight, no activities Wednesday. Uh, Bill Bailey is going to come. He's got an announcement, just a word about what we did yesterday. Man, the work, the church coming together, family members coming together to be able to love on a family uh, who who finds themselves in a difficult situation financially. So Bill, share that, and then Gary is going to close us with a word of prayer after that. All
2: right, one reason to live, that's about what happened. Uh, The family that was ministered to, it was tremendous yesterday. It was the body of Christ in motion. Um, February the 9th, I look back on my, my notes, and a member here, sent a message that we need to do something. And it started there and a lot of work has gone into it and it all came to a head yesterday. And if you would have been here to see the people working all day, very hard, uh, people were tired. I was one of them, Uh, slept good last night. A lot of people did, but uh, it happened and it was tremendous and very fruitful and God gets all the glory. (laughs) Uh, because it's blessed a family. Thank you for everybody that had part in it. Um, We still have stew and plates and meat left. We've set it up in the fellowship hall. The Lord knows our heart. I know I don't like to sell on Sunday, but uh, it's very well reduced, and it's for your taking, and... Nobody here is needy. You drove in a car. You came from a home. Uh, So what's left over, it will go to the needy free. But uh, it's back there. Please take it if you want it. The prices are marked, and we have a way to take a card and whatever you want. Uh, But I'll ask there for Gary.